0: Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows, Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. So glad you guys are here with us today. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37 and put your finger there. And then I want you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. It's amazing how these passages, what I had been preaching on and, and then what today, they sort of fit hand in glove. And if, and if I wasn't in Genesis 37 preaching, I would have continued on and I would have been right at Hebrews chapter 12. But I want to set the stage today and I want to talk to you about this thought, thankful for the pain. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like pain in my life. I don't like when I go through growing spells and spurts and all that. But can I make this statement? I'm going to show you, I believe, from Scripture today that it's in those times of pain when God is doing probably the greatest work of of your life inside of you. But I want to transpose that with this truth. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, notice what the Bible says about Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Who for the joy that was set before him. What do you mean the joy that was set forth before him? What what joy was there that night in the garden of Gethsemane where he literally sweat blood drops? What was the, the joy about with that? But notice what it says. See, he wasn't looking in the moment. Two things I believe that, that we struggle with in our life. Number one, we struggle with wanting to know the end picture. And it would be sort of like someone standing here and saying, and I literally had somebody this week say, I want to know what it's going to be like in 10 years. And so we get so focused out there on something that we cannot know that we miss right now. And by the way, if we knew there and the journey from here to there, we probably would fight against it anyway, seeing what God wanted to do. Or the other that we do forget at times is we we forget where the calling that we have. And so we don't, we just look here and we never look up for here to see the ultimate prize that we have, which is the upward call of Jesus Christ there's, there's got to be some middle ground here where, yes, you understand where you're going, but you're more worried about right now because God says He's just going to be a lamp unto your feet. Oh, He's going to tell you that for the believer, heaven is the ultimate prize and the upward call, but to get there, you don't get there looking out there, you get there looking at what He gives you right now. I don't think we can handle if we knew the whole process, I believe we would shut down mentally. So notice what it says that who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You mean, preacher, what you're saying, is it based upon that that there's gonna be times when I just have to endure life? Yes. That that I know I know you're probably going, well, that's just great. But literally, there are just times in your life you've got to endure it, understanding what we're going to talk about today, that God is up to something. And that's what always has to stay with you. He endured the cross and he despised the shame. Sometimes that's why we don't want to endure, because we don't want to deal with the shame that comes with it, of being mocked for our beliefs. And now it says and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. See, he went through all that to get back to the place that he's always occupied. But in the moment, he endured more pain than any person ever. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, the, made him to be sin who knew no sin. We cannot begin to fathom what Jesus walked through. So I want to talk to you this Sunday, and I'm going to finish it. It's already, I'm telling you now, it's a two-part deal. Next Sunday, I'm going to tell you the ultimate result of the pain and what, what God is doing in it. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, but next week I'm going to really get to what God is doing with the pain. What's he trying to, to show you with the pain in your life? Most of us want to get the pain out, don't we? But if you really listen closely, you'll understand that the pain is there for a reason, and God will reveal it to you. Genesis thirty-seven. Let's go there and stand at the reading of God's word. Genesis thirty-seven. I'm gonna. We all know this, man. This is one of those um, you, you you learn about in Sunday school as a toddler. Um, if you're like some of us older ones, you had those boards. What were those called? Felt boards, you know, you could put up there with the felt and it would stick, man. You had those. This was always going to be one of those stories, Joseph and his dreams. Here it is. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their fathers, always one. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. There's a problem already, Dad. Just throw this out for you parents. If you love one kid more than another, there's going to be problems. Anything if you do it's something else, if you show it. <laughs> I mean, you might have a favorite kid. that's okay, whatever, but if you start showing it, there's going to be family issues. There's going to be a whole lot of family counseling going on, because your kids will figure it out. Listen to this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a robe, I should say, a coat of many colors. Wow, Dad. Way to show everybody who you love the most. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, hello, and could not speak peacefully to him. By the way, if you write in your Bibles, if you like to make notes of somebody, that is Dan Amos' favorite part of this whole story, that the brothers could not even speak peacefully to him. Wait a minute, it gets better. We just focus on the dreams, y'all. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, how about this? They hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you to indeed rule over us? So they hated him even more. This is one big hatred passage. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brother. He said, Behold, I've had a dream, another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you've, you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Father, God help us to understand that the pain that we have and that we walk through is there for a reason. And Lord, let us never forget, yes, you do care. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I mean, wouldn't you like to be at this household for Thanksgiving dinner? I mean, these guys can't speak peacefully to him, and the a matter of fact, they hate him, and it's 11 against 1. At some point, somebody getting beat up. And it does come to fruition that that does happen. But I mean, this has had to be something else, and, and so you think, what have we got going on, preacher? Well, God is moving, and let me tell you this. And you'll catch this a little later. When you get a dream and a plan for your life from Almighty God, people will begin to not like you. A lot of it will be because of that last thing. They get jealous of you and they don't know how to handle it. But before we get there, let's talk about the plan. Here's only two points today. Number one, God has a plan for your life. Isn't that a crazy thought? Just hold on to the pain part. We're going to get to that to end this today and then next week. But we're going to get to that part. Jesus Christ, some of his names are known as this. He is called the captain of our salvation. He is the, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He is the very one who spoke the world into being. And by the way, I'm going to deal with that in two weeks. We're going to preach out of Genesis chapter 1. Put your seatbelts on that week. He he is God himself in the flesh. Of all the billions of, billions of, billions of people. He has a plan for you. In this world, people struggle with self-esteem. We struggle Especially teenage girls, am I pretty enough or am I uh, this enough or am I this enough? And guys struggle with it too and we struggle but I want to make this statement and if you don't hear anything else I say today, that's fine. Hear this, you are more than enough because there's a Savior who created you just like He wanted you. You're not good enough but He makes you good enough. Because of the Holy Spirit that will live inside of you. And God has a plan for your life. I love what Adrian Rogers said about the will of God for your life. He said this, the will of God is, is not something you do, it's something you get to do. What a great thought. It was God. And by the way, so as we look at this passage about Joseph right here, I want you to notice this because this is so foundational what I'm talking about. Joseph, I mean, yeah, Joseph did not dream this up on his own. God gave him this dream for his life. Here's what God was saying. There's something important and special I'm going to do with your life, and I've got to prepare you for it. You don't understand it, and we know that he don't understand it. He didn't need to tell it to his brothers. That just made them hate him more. But there's something special about this dream. He says, Joseph... Your whole life has been created for one reason. In my foreknowledge, I'm going to use you in a mighty way. Can I tell you this? He says the same thing to you and I. Some of you are going, use me? How is he going to use me? He's going to use you to be a light for somebody. Oh, we may not be kings and princes or presidents or that. That doesn't matter. He may use you in the life of your spouse. The life of your Family, the life of a friend that will make an eternal difference to them. You be who God created you to be, and you live that life. I wrote this down. I said, listen, don't be afraid to dream the dreams and pursue the plan that God has for you. Let me repeat that. Don't be afraid to dream the dreams and pursue the plan that God has for you. Because he's calling you to something. He's desiring for, he has created you. I love Psalm 139. We know this part is a lot more to this song, but there's one part. He said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So do not tell me that there's not, that you are not purposeful, that there is purpose in your life and that you were specifically designed to do something for the God of the universe who made you and gave his very life for you. Not only did he make you, then he redeemed you. And he's telling you that you are worthwhile and you're valuable. And God says, just hear what I'm trying to tell you. So he tells Joseph, you're going to be important. Now the key is that we understand it's not our dream. You realize that if I had my way and I'd had my dreams, I wouldn't be standing here. Anybody with me in high school knew I had one dream and that was to play baseball. I wanted to play in the major league. All I wanted to do, I lived it, I breathed it, I ate it. Everything about me was about baseball. Oh, I did other stuff, but that was just to get ready for baseball. The dream that Hank Meadows had for his life was to play baseball. My daddy would always encourage it, too. My daddy's like, you know that's what you're, listen, my daddy would say, you weren't made for that, Hank. You were made to play, man. You've got this gift with baseball, and I put everything into it. Last time my daddy ever told me something about that, though, about three months before he died, here's what he said. I still think you could have made it, but I'm so thankful that you listened to God and he led you to preach. I'm so thankful, son, that you heard the word of God. And you let him guide your steps in that way. Can I can look back and can I just tell y'all some things about that plan for me? Hank was just thinking about baseball. And so I go off to college, man, and I'm playing college baseball, and this fits in with this sermon. This is not a, i know y'all say I chase rabbits. This is not a rabbit trail. I was going to be a business major. Now, number one, that was stupid. I hate numbers. But I was going to be a business major. So I get there, and man, I'm playing baseball, and I'm hanging out with all my guys. And so I'm like, hey, guys, what are you guys majoring in? And I mean, three quarters of them said history. So guess what Hank Mudd has changed his major to? History. Not that I loved it so much, but I get to hang out with more. Be- I mean, when we rolled up in a class, y'all, I'm straight trying to tell you, it won't just one, it was seven or eight baseball players in every class of history. That's how I got into history. So then I'm trying to figure out after I'm about to graduate and get all this, I'm like, what am I going to do with a history degree? Well, teach keeps me connected to sports. I'll teach, so I get my master's degree and I learn how to teach. And then I'm so I'm teaching and I'm loving teaching and loving coaching. And then the next thing I know, this little church called Marion Baptist Church calls me in 2001. Literally, they call me in the middle of December to come and preach on New Year's Eve just to fill the pulpit. That's odd. Twenty-three years later, here I am. And you know, I preached that first time, and then I was like, I was all like, "Man, they don't have a pastor. Maybe this will work out. Maybe you know, this will all work out." I didn't hear from him for four months. Boy, I'll crush your dreams. And then it just, ping, ping, ping. then it just led to me being called to be the pastor. So I look at, I was going, dude, I'm just taking history just because all the other baseball players do it. God was teaching me how to write stuff. Then He taught me how to get my point across and how to teach things to others because then He gifted me to be a preacher and an evangelist. And here's a flat truth. I know this about Hank Meadows. It's not because of Hank Meadows, but because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me and gifted me to the work of an evangelist. There are times that I can get folk to come to know Jesus that other folk have tried and it hadn't worked. But yet God uses me in that. But he had to train me. So I can look back now with 2020 vision and see God's hand on my life. And then... I was just trying to hang out with the dudes. But how do we figure out our plan and God's plan? Well, go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, if I were to ask you what's in Jeremiah 29, we're all going to go right to verse 11. No, I want to go up a little bit before that. Go to Jeremiah 29 and verse 8. I know some people, you're going to say this. Well, you know that this was really written to the Jewish people. Now, it's not written to the believer. I got you. But here's also the truth. I know we take Old Testament principles for our life today. You may say, well, the promise was made to the Israelites. Okay, yeah, it was. But the principle is for all the world. Listen to what verse 8 says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. In other words, don't listen to somebody else tell you the dreams of you. And one translation puts it this way, don't dream your own dreams. They'll not lead you to heaven. You cannot trust your own dreams. Because they might be more worldly than anything. Well, the preacher, what do I do? Here's what you do. You trust God. Because then let's go to verse 11 and notice what it says. For I know. Let me find it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. By the way, that does not mean uh, prosperity. That literally just means that I'm going to bless you Spiritually and not for evil to, to give you a future and a hope. And so as I was looking at that, and I was like, so I understand verse 8 really says don't trust your own dreams. Trust, verse 11 says trust the dreams that God gives you. How do we know that? So then I became a word nerd for a minute. I haven't done that in a while. That word know there is really in the Hebrew is uh, yada. Y-A-D-A. You pronounce it yada. And it is four definitions that it means right here. So listen to this. Number one, it means observation. It means that for I know the plans I have for you. So by observation, we begin to understand what God has for us. And God observes who we are and how the Spirit has gifted us so that there are things in his foreknowledge he can lead you in. So the second word is this. The second definition is this. Is it, this is the great one. You ever been here? You ever done this, God? You even care about me anymore, God? Do you, you, God? Do you not understand where I'm at right now in my life, God? Do you not see the valley that I'm in anymore, God? Where are you? And if anybody says they haven't said that, you ought to run here and repent because you just lied. Second definition for that word no is care. For God says, for I care about you. I care about you. Dear one, I see you. I know right where you're at. I haven't forgotten you. My eye, it was the, his eye on the sparrow. And you are so much more valuable than a sparrow. So what he's saying is, I see exactly where you are. And dear one, I am doing the biggest, best work ever in your life. And all I need for you to do is trust me. Trust that I'm working when you can't see it. That saying is so true, man, because I know some of you, you're in deep, dark valleys that I know about, and you're down there, and you're saying, God, do you still care? Hank, what do I do? I can't tell you the answer, but I can tell you this. There's a God in heaven that cares, and don't ever forget in the dark what you learned in the light. He's the same God deep down in the valley as he is on top of the mountain, and he has a plan always. Third definition here is recognition what I just said, he recognizes where you're at. He hadn't forgotten you. He see, and by the way, when you say that, usually it's with a tear in your eyes. And I'm so glad that the psalmist says he catches every tear and holds them in his bottle. And every one of those tears, when you can't get the words out, preaches a sermon. And the Holy Spirit will take that tear and it'll rise up to heaven. And he'll say, Father God, your child is deep in that valley and they're weeping. And let me give you the words to these tears. Oh, my Lanty, y'all, that's encouraging. Let me give you the fourth definition. I love this one designation. Do you realize you've been designed for a specific purpose? Oh, not everybody's called to be a preacher. Not everybody's called to be an evangelist. Not everybody. But man, we need people in every walks of life. Can can I say uh, this girl over here, my cousin, Brooke, she is a light in a dark world. What grade do you teach, Brooke? She teaches seventh and eighth graders. God, pray for her. Dear Jesus, she needs it. I love, it. she'll send me texts she sent me one that just broke my heart. And then I just tell her all, all I try to be is an encouragement in her life. Here's what I'll say she can vouch for this God made you to do this. There, there are so, I could give you so many other teachers are here that are the same way. I'll get a text from teachers, I get probably more texts from teachers out of the blue than anybody. And here's a lot of times it says, I just need your prayer. It's been a bad day. You know, there was a movement years ago, probably 15. All the teachers, we ought to pull all of our kids out of public school. Why? We need public school teachers that are believers and disciples of Christ. To have the light in that dark place. I understand. I'm not against home. If you want to homeschool your kids, fantabulous, whatever. But that's not for everybody. And by the way, we need the light in the darkness. God cares. And you've been created with wonderful plans for you. So how do we know? So how do we get there? And I've got to rush, y'all. I'm saying that already. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So how do we make sure we understand what the plan is? How do we go about getting there? Well, I believe there's three ways. And, and I took this little outline right here from Adrian Rogers specifically. So I'm just telling you this. Is, I've got this outline right here from Adrian Rogers. Then I'm going to give you these. Three, I got these three words from him. When you read this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. Here's the first word. As you... Want to know God's will, plan, and dream for your life. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's presentation. God, I know You've designed me for something, and I know there's something in my life that You want to use, and You've created me in this. So right now, God, and this is what I would encourage you to flock. Not till we can get numbered at the altar. That doesn't matter to me. But you would come here and you would bend over and you would get on your face and you would say this: God, I want to present my body as a living sacrifice to be used by You. And now some of you are going because you're so spiritually immature, and not saved. You're going, yeah, but it's my life. No, it's not. You are bought at a price. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 tells us that. I've repeated that this whole year long. Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not the life of Hank Menes. I have no right to my life anymore. It is wherever general God says go. That I should go. So first off is presentation. I present my body to be used by God in whatever plan. By the way, let me just give you, let me, uh, let me tell you what happened. It all worked out pretty well for Joseph. And it'll work out well for you as well. Second word, then, then it's this. So wholly presentable to God is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Second word is transformation. Y'all, I'm just telling you, man. I am thank the Lord. I'm not the dude I used to be. Can I get a witness? I mean, I was just not a nice guy in college. Mad at the world. Doing things I should not have been doing. And so before God could ever lead me here and stand here, there had to be a lot of transforming inside of me. Now, here's the difference between conforming and transforming. Conforming means somebody moves you and shapes you like Play-Doh. Well, you can make it, and then if you don't like it, you just squish just squishing, you start over. Well, And here's what you get by that. So if I could talk you into that and make you really want it just by talking and nothing on the inside, somebody along a lot smarter than me, man, and there's plenty of you in this church, could come along and talk you out of it and lead you another way. But what I want to do is I want to help you to transform by getting you in the presence of Almighty God so that you accept the, uh, the salvation offered by Almighty God so that and He comes to live on the inside of you. And so then He changes you from the inside out, not from the outside in because when he changes you from the inside out he changes your heart and he changes your very being your very soul is in different because now you've got a soul fit for eternity in heaven you don't need to have a soul that's fit for the hells of fire of fires of hell and i believe there is a difference so when he comes to live inside of you, he begins to make small, subtle changes to you. I've told you the story before, man. I'd been here about a year. I lit this old boy to Lord. I'd seen him uh, at, at, I'm not calling their name, I, I seen him at a gas station and he had a beer in his hand and he had in a little brown bag and, you know, so he saw me. I walked up right before he saw me. So when he saw me, as if I didn't see it in his hand, he, hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. So you know me, man, I'm going, I'm doing well. How you doing? Everything good? And so this old boy's going, Yeah, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing just fabulous. I heard you were back in town. Yeah. And he's steadily walking, man. I said, Yeah, really? What's, uh, what, what you got going on? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Just got me a Gatorade behind my back. Really? What's going on, man? I thought we were square dancing for a while. See him again shortly thereafter, man. And I share the gospel with him. And the old boy gives his heart to the Lord. And then about three weeks after that, he calls me on the phone. And we're talking to I'm like, man, how's it going, man? He goes, Hank, it stinks, man. I understand that. Yeah, the devil's after you. Man, no, man, I can't cuss anymore. I'm like, praise God. You don't understand who I work with. I mean, to work at your job, you got to (laughs) cuss. It helps. (laughs) And I just can't get it out. (laughs) I said, well, that's a great truth, man. I said, you know why you can't anymore? I don't have a clue. Can you fill me in? I said, well, we have this thing in Christianity, which you are now. You're involved in it now, called the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And he is beginning to transform you. There are just certain things about your life. You know, there are just certain things about your life you don't need a sermon on. Hello? The Holy Spirit will tell you if you've got Him living inside of you. You don't need a sermon. He'll just whisper it to you. The Bible says He talks to His friends. So there's realization and transformation. Oh, then the last thing is realization that you may be transferred by renewal of your mind, by testing you may discern, there's realization. What is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When all that happens, when you you figure out that there's this dream and you begin to to do all this stuff and you begin to work on it, and then God tells you which is true. Then, here's the hardest part, I believe. You accept the dream. You're probably going, why is that the hardest part? Because that's when people are going to get jealous. Philip, your mom and dad, according to Stephen, was somewhere between 25 and 30 years old when they were called to the mission field. Had four kids. This is out of John Hubbard's mouth, not even Stevens or Phillips. And Mrs. Hubbard's mouth, Miss Louise. When they let it be known they were going, people mocked them. Look over there. Philip's shaking his head yes. he's back. They mocked them. What do you think you're doing? You got four. How are you going to feed them? I told them how ridiculous they were. That's what happens when you get somebody that's actually spiritual in a place where a bunch of unspiritual people are. You heard me say it. You'll get. So I'm just telling you now, when you get the dream of God and for your life and in your life, I'm straight trying to tell you, people are going to stand against you and it'll be sometimes the very people that you supposedly worship God sitting right beside. Now Joseph probably shouldn't have told his brothers, but he, God was saying something to him and yet it made his brothers jealous and hate him more. When I informed people that I was coming to be the pastor, here's what a lot of people said, you would be gone in six months. You guys understand the pay cut I took to come here? That ain't to build nobody up, but I took a massive pay cut. And that, so that caused some problems with some people. So I'm telling you this, when you find that dream, be ready. The people you call friends sometimes will stand against you. His whole family stood against him. Even daddy said, you're telling me we're going to actually bend and bow at your feet? Yes, they did. Next week I'm gonna talk about that. They bowed in front of Joseph when they finally realized who he was, when he let them know. God's up to something. Well, that's the that's the unfun part. Now just in the next just few minutes, I need to deal with I need to get you ready for the next. That's the easy part. God uses pain to get you to his plan. Joseph is one of the few guys here. Think about this. I didn't realize. Danny, you check this out too many. You guys that are deeply theological, whatever. Joseph is the only major person in all of Scripture that we have not one sin named against him in Scripture. You'll read nowhere in the Bible of a sin. Now, Joseph was a sinner. He was. But he never sinned that we have recorded but he, we know he did sin but think about all that happened suppose this suppose when god gave him this dream and god said listen the ultimate end of that dream is you're going to be second in command of all of egypt but to get there joseph let me just tell you a few things that's going to happen you're going to go out to meet your brothers and check on them, and Well, in verse 16, they saw him from afar, before he came near to them. They conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, "Here comes this dreamer. They wanted to kill him because of the dreams. So, old Joseph, your first step in this journey to becoming prime minister, your whole family is going to basically want to kill you. They're going to beat the fool out of you. Then they're going to throw you into a pit, and they're going to leave you there to just die. And then, not only that, how to throw more on it, Joseph, when you're down in that pit, they're going to be sitting up here eating spam sandwiches. Just thought I'd get a rise out of y'all. Okay, potted meat. Okay, Vienna sausages. Can I get a witness up in here? Y'all come on now. Jeez, y'all. Y'all have obviously never been fishing or hunting. I'm just going to say that, man, okay? Those are, the, those are the three main things fishermen and hunters eat. Those three things right there. If you've, All right, so if you've, you just told me who don't fish up in here and hunt. I'm just telling y'all, man. So listen, so they're up there eating, and right there, their brother is screaming for help. How much you got to hate somebody to do that? But then, all they get pious. Listen to this. It wasn't enough to want to kill him. Then it goes on. So they sat down to eat. This is verse 25. They saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming up from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry. Then Judah said, by the way, Judah, that's the tribe Jesus came through, the tribe of Judah. And so the progenitor of that tribe, Judah himself, says this. What profit is it if we just kill him? We're not making no money if we just kill him. Let's sell him. Which is worse, wanting to kill your brother or just wanting to sell him into slavery so you can make a profit? So Joseph, your first step is your brothers and your family's going to hate you. They're going to beat snot out of you. They're going to throw you into a well. They're going to eat lunch where they can hear your cries, and it's not going to move their heart whatsoever. But then they're going to decide not to kill you and let you die there. They're going to sell you into slavery. And then you're going to get into slavery, and you're going to be in this guy named Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife is going to find you so absolutely attractive that she wants to lay with you, and she wants to have you to be sort of her lover there. And then when you say no, she's going to accuse you of rape. So now you're not just a slave. You're getting thrown in jail. We ain't even got to the worst part yet, y'all, what I think. So he gets in jail, and he's doing well there because if you go and read it, the Lord was with him. That's the greatest thing about this is the Lord with him. But he's in jail, so it interprets two guys' dreams. I don't have time for lack of time. I don't have time for that right now. And the one time we see that Joe just sort of shows a little mistrust of God. Lady Gaga says, hey guys, when you get back in front of the king, would you remember to tell him that I told you your dreams? And they forget. You can do a lot of things to a person, but to just flat out forget they're alive? Can it be any more of a smack in the face? The Bible literally says they forgot him. Let me ask you this question. You think Joseph would have signed up for all that? Hank wouldn't have. I have a brother and us. It would crush me if my brother wanted to kill me. And then for him to sell me into slavery. And then I get accused of something I didn't do. And then I'm just flat forgotten, left to rot. You know that old boy that was here, that was 17? God gave the dreams to. He was not ready to be what he was going to be over here in Egypt. So all that did, listen, here's, this is the climax of this whole deal. Grew him into the man God needed him to be. Showed him the power of God in his life. Showed him that there was to be something different about him. Showed him how to weather the storms and showed him ultimately, here it is, period. How to place his trust in God and no one else. You could not, they didn't have all these drugs that we hand out now when we think people are depressed and all that stuff. And I'm not against that. If you need it, whatever. They didn't have that in Joseph's time. What did Joseph learn to do? Trust the Lord. One of my five original statements is this, and here it is. God never lets a good valley go to waste. But he's not going to let you out of it until you learn what he's trying to teach you. What does that mean for us, preacher? How do we deal with the pain? When we are in our deep, dark valley, I'm going to give you this, and then I'm just going to end. I'm not finished, but I'm just going to stop. Go to Romans eight twenty eight, And then I'm done. What's up with the pain, preacher Hank? What, what, what do you mean? What's up with the pain? Give me something good. God does care, and He's always up to something. And we know that for those who love God, That means this is a believer's text. If you're not a believer, you can't claim this. All things work together for good for those who are called according to this purpose. Well, what? Here's the question about this text. Preacher Hank, what what is the good? Next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The good is this. That when you're down in that deep dark valley. What God is doing. He's taking off some parts of your life that are not godly. Joseph he was taking off some self-righteousness I believe. Some thinking you're better than everybody else. He's getting you to a place of humility. Where all you do. Is trust him. Can I ask you this question? If you're in a deep dark valley today. And your pain is high. What's God trying to teach you? I can't tell you. Nobody in this room can tell you. But you get right here on your face before God, He can tell you. Trust God. When all hope seems lost, trust God. Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.